The scripture of the Lord laid on my heart is in John chapter 8, verse 12. And it's, there's a woman who was caught in adultery and the priests were trying to stone her to death. Jesus said, he was without sin, cast the first stone. And the old men dropped the stones and walked away. Then Jesus began to write in the sand. I think he was most likely writing their sins. And then all of the men walked away. And Jesus said, go and sin no more. There's no one here to condemn you. And then he turned around and he said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall no longer walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So what's so amazing is that many of us have walked in darkness. Many of us have tried things that we wish we'd never had. And yet God shines his light even to our deepest darkness and draws us out. It's an act of love to bring us out of darkness. Shall we pray? And so, Father, I thank you that you truly are the light of the world and that you love to come and to minister to broken hearts, that you are the meaning and truth to life. And, Lord, I pray that your light would shine in our hearts today and bring us a revelation of the knowledge of God through Christ Jesus. And that, Lord, eternity has been placed in the hearts of all men. And let your eternal life come this day into people's hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, I think we've got a small uh, Bollywood video. Is that right? Hollywood. Hollywood. <laughs> um, Clint Eastwood's uh, son, Scott Eastwood, played me in this movie. And Cheryl Ladd from Charlie's Angels, you remember her? I was in love with her. <laughs> I had the privilege of meeting her at a conference, and she graciously put her arm around me, and my wife was thinking, how come you got a photograph with Cheryl Ladd? I said, it's a fine, dear. It's fine. <laughs> so maybe we could just watch this quickly, and then I'll get into my testimony. They say the best surfer in the world is having the most fun. It's not about competition. It's simply about the moment. When you feel it, you've come the closest you can get to touching eternity. Let me tell you what happened to me. Like a perfect way for you. <laughs> um, Cheryl Ladd is actually a born-again Christian and loves the Lord. And when she found out I was taking nothing from the movie, she did all the acting for free. And so God bless her. I'm waiting till we get to the point where we can just... Um, all the copyrights finished and we can just duplicate them and give them away. Um, at present, my testimony is in a booklet form and also in a DVD, and I think there are a couple of dollars at the back of the church after. If you don't have $2, take them. Um, just one, not 10. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus said, freely receive, freely give. They do cost money, but you know, put whatever you can afford in. Um, Next photograph is, uh, I want to do a PowerPoint presentation and quickly go through. So the first one is my wife, Jane, and um, we've been married for nearly 30 years, and she's amazing. Um, she's been a Christian all her life. Her testimony is more powerful than mine. The next photograph, we have three beautiful kids. They look angelic, but they're not. <laughs> next photograph. And this is... Where I come from, New Zealand, next photo. Might just flick through them, there's a few of them. Waterfalls, beaches. This is where I was born, Mount Monganui. 
And next photograph, with dolphins. Next picture, uh, we have fish. And next picture, we have shrimp. <laughs> Put another shrimp on the barbie, mate. This is my, was my surf break, Raglan, left-hand surf break. And in 1980, uh, in the late 70s, early 80s, I decided to, after watched a movie called End of Summer, to surf all around the world. The next photograph, I was 24 years of age, next photograph quickly. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I lived for surfing. My whole world was literally um, uh, to do with surfing and waves and stuff. Don't you love computers? I can't stand these things. <laughs> I love a fishing rod. I'm not sure about surfing. Okay. The next photograph is um, I ended up after two years of surfing around the world, a place called Mauritius. Oh, can back up a little bit. And this particular island had a great left-hand reef break. And next picture, I live with a local Creole fisherman. These were the Rastafari and the Peter Tosh Bob Marley boys. They said, don't worry, be happy. Smoke my hashish. <laughs> So in those days, we'd, we'd smoked as much, you know, hashish and Cheech and Chong movies as they had, so <laughs> when you blow all the local Rastafarians out, then you're kind of in with the family quite quickly. <laughs> so next photograph. So we would, we would surf on the outer reef this, and, and see a place called One Eyes, and then we would also dive during the day and at night. Next picture. And we would dive at night for crayfish, for, um, for lobster, the Americans call them lobster, crab, cuttlefish. And we would dive from maybe 11 o'clock at night to 1, 2 in the morning looking for seafood. The men made their livelihood from this. For us, this was just a means of um, dinner. And so having traveled for two years, I was an instructor in scuba, a lifeguard, and I'd seen almost every Jacques Cousteau program on TV. But this particular night was the 19th of April, 1982, and my life was about to be changed. Next picture. As I swam into the ocean, I saw this unusual jellyfish with finger-like tentacles, cube-shaped. And I, the fisherman called it envisible, or envisable, a French word for invisible one. The Australians will call it a marine stinger, a box jelly, or a sea wasp. Is that right? You've got three different names for the same thing. Well, I'd never seen a photograph um, of them, and so I didn't realize what was in front of me was the deadly box jellyfish. To cut a very long story short, I was unfortunately hit by five of them across my forearm. The only saving grace was that night I'd put Vaseline petroleum jelly over my forearms and my face because I was getting eaten by sea lice. And I tried to put a, some form of protection um, because I didn't want to wear a full wetsuit. It was too hot. The water was um, too warm. So anyhow, I was hit by them. My arm went up like Popeye, like a balloon. My skin was blistered from the tentacles. And the fisherman turned white. When you see a black man turn white, <laughs> it's not good. He said, on visab, tuck, sefini, allez, allez, vitamor, katram hospital. My limited per French knew that he was telling me I must get to the hospital, one would kill me. Next picture. They dragged me into the um, fishing boat. We had no outboard motor. And so the young boy took me to shore. I asked Simon, come with me, he said, Ian, no motor, go, you die. I said, my arm, he said, urinate on it, pee on it now. So I urinated on my arm, which I found out later causes the tentacles to let go, or uh, vinegar does the same, so no more toxin keeps coming into the body. I was a lifeguard, so I'm trying to, and I was a consultant, so I'm trying to apply manual tourniquet to limit the poison coming into my uh, central core of my body. 
Next picture. By the time I hit the beach at Rivier Noir, I stood up and collapsed. The poison had paralyzed half of my body. The young boy was panicking. He could see me dying and wanted to go and rescue the other divers. I said, no, ambulance, gendarme. But in 1982, there was no mobile phones. There was no internet. So the poor child chose the other two divers to try and rescue. And they were fine because they had full wetsuits on. He jumped in the fishing boat and began poling back out, leaving me half dead on the side of the road. This poison was, was so quick, if I'd been hit in the neck, I'd be dead with maybe three or four minutes. Hit on the extremity, 10, 15 minutes. So within about eight or 10 minutes after the attack, I am closing my eyes, which would have been certain death, coma, certain death. As I'm closing my eyes, I hear an, a voice, audible voice of a man speak. He said, son, if you close your eyes, you will never awake again. Well, I looked and there was no one there. Um, in New Zealand, we have special institutions for people that hear invisible voices talking to them. Another thing called Prozac and nice white jackets buckle up from behind. Anyhow, I'm thinking, well, I'm not a nutter. What the heck was that? I had no idea that God was real. I was an atheist. But I found out later that um, Jesus goes looking for the lost sheep. Yeah. Have you heard of that? Yeah. So I was what you call a black sheep. <laughs> Any black sheep sneaking here this morning? The cameraman, okay. So here I am, I'm dying, and I am hearing an invisible voice tell me, if you shut your eyes, son, you will die right here. How many would stand up? So I stood up and fought for my life, and I don't have time this morning to go into detail, but by the time, next photograph, by the time they got me into the ambulance, I was literally in, gone through the death rattles. My entire body was paralyzed, and I could hardly hear my own heart beating as they raced me to the hospital. As they're taking me to the hospital, I start to see, this is your life. I start seeing the small, blonde-headed child in like a video clip race before me. In New Zealand, we used to have box brownie cameras. You remember those old things? So I never saw much of photographs of me as a kid, but at teenage years, I realized that this was my life. I thought, man, this happens before you die. Am I going to die? I thought, well, I'm very close. I thought, if I died, is there life after death or nothing? I thought, I'm an atheist. I'm convinced that when you die, there's nothing there. The trouble is, I was a gambling atheist. <laughs> the gambler said, you've been wrong before. <laughs> How many have been wrong before? How'd you like to be wrong about life after death and it's you? So I lay there and I thought, this is like playing Russian roulette. I've heard lots of isms, Buddhism, Taoism, humanism, Catholicism, Darwinism. I wonder which one's right. As I'm lying there, unbeknown to me, the next photograph, on the other side of the world, my dear mother, who's the only Christian in the family, had seen my face too, heard God audibly speak to her and said, your elder son Ian is, is nearly dead, pray for him now. How many mothers seem to know when their children are in trouble when they can be a million miles away? How many men wouldn't have a clue what's going on? <laughs> so my father didn't have a clue what's going on. My mum's distraught, falling on her knees, the only Christian in the family, praying. God somehow brings her face to the other side of the world, and I can see her kneeling. Have you seen the older people pray like that? My mother was Anglican, Church of England. And as she's praying, she's speaking to me. She said, Ian, no matter what you've done wrong in your life, son, no matter how far from God you may be, if you call out to God from your heart, God will hear you and God will forgive you, son. Call out to God. 
I'm thinking, God, which one? (laughs) And if there is a God, how on earth can he forgive me? It's too late, surely. I've cursed them all. So I said, I need to see to believe. Show me your face and I'll believe. As I lay there, no face appeared except my mother. I thought, well, mother is not God. How many know your mother's not God? (laughs) Act like it sometimes. Anyhow, I thought, well, my mother is a Christian. Could mother be right? I thought, well, mum's the only person I'm seeing. She prays to Jesus Christ. I wonder if it's Christian. I thought, well, what would you pray that's Christian? I thought when I was a little boy, my mother used to kneel by my bed and pray the Our Father's Prayer, the Lord's Prayer. I thought, well, as a gambler, you're putting all your chips up on one number, but what have I got to lose? I haven't seen Buddha, Shiva, Ganesh, or Kalima. So I'm lying here going, maybe it's Christian. I tried to pray. My mind went blank. My mum said, Ian, pray from your heart, not from your head. I said, God, if you see anything in my heart of stone, if you actually exist, please help me to pray. I can't remember the prayer. Next words. I look up and here in front of me, forgive us our trespasses and sins. I thought, how could God forgive me all my sins by saying these simple words? I thought, I don't exactly have time to list them. Too many. I said, God, if you somehow can hear me, I feel like a hypocrite, but if you can forgive me, I sincerely ask you to forgive me all my sins. I don't know, a heap of stuff, been there and done that. Next minute, the words disappeared. Fresh words, the next words. Forgive those who trespass and sin against you. I thought, well, that's in the prayer, forgive others. I'm not a vindictive person by nature. God, I forgive anyone, no matter what they've done to me, I forgive them. As I said that, two men's faces appeared in front of me. I thought, what the are they doing here? (laughs) Got anyone on your hit list? (laughs) And the voice specifically said, will you forgive these men? And he went specifically told me what they'd done to me and asked if I'd forgive them. At that point, I realized I'm talking to someone that could be Almighty God. How I many know it's very easy to say, I forgive you, but if the, it's different, different when it's from the heart. I've heard people say, I forgive you, mate, and then you walk and you see the next day, you feel the knife go through your back. Knives in their eyes. So I'm lying here, dying in an ambulance, thought, I'm talking to God. What a thing to find out God's real just before you die. And he's dealing with my, my sin and my unforgiveness and resentment and bitterness towards mankind. I said, okay, God, if, I'll do this. If you can forgive me, I don't want to forgive them. But if you can forgive me, I will never touch them. I'll never harm them. I forgive them. The moment I said that, their faces disappeared. Next words came up. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I thought God's will be done. So far, I've led an independent self-sufficient life I've done it my way remember Frank Sinatra I thought well I've done it my way for 26 years to do it God's way is a radical radical decision I said God that means I'm going to have to humble myself admit I've been wrong for 26 years and surrender my life to the Lordship of Christ I said I've never done that and I don't even know what you're doing in heaven it's got nothing to do with my lifestyle here on earth But if you can help me, I'll find out what you're doing in heaven and try and live it on earth all the days of my life. I need a miracle. As I surrendered my life to the Lord, the entire prayer, next photograph, the whole Lord's prayer appeared before me. I prayed it and an extraordinary peace entered my heart. And this peace hasn't left me in 36 years. Jesus said, I'm the Prince of Peace. Peace I give you, not of this world. 
I'd look for inner peace. I'd been down so many different pathways, the New Age and the occult. Here, a peace entered me. I thought, what a bizarre thing to find out that Jesus Christ is real and can speak to you and bring his peace into your heart, having denied him all these years. I think what happened to me is that God gives more grace in a man's dying moments than in his entire life. Everything in that ambulance went into slow motion. I'd been in a car wreck years before where the car had rolled three or four times, and I remember in that ambulance, time slowed down. I remember talking to God later about it. He said, Ian, I'm eternal. I'm outside of time. I wish that no man would perish. And he gives more grace in those dying moments because he wants everyone to make it. But not man, not every man will make it, because I met a few shortly after that didn't. So anyhow, I'm fighting for my life. The peace came in. Next picture. The ambulance stopped in front of the A&E. They, they lifted me in a wheelchair, raced me in. Next picture. Try to, get, try to find pulse. No pulse. Two machines couldn't find a pulse. I was in a crash mode, so they started to get, try to get a line in, but my veins collapsed. They, they were trying to get drip feed and dextrose and antitoxin into me. I could hear them talking, but I was going further and further away. I could feel myself almost drifting out of my body. I was freaking out because I knew that this wasn't astral projection. This was one-way ticket. This was death. As I'm clinging to my life, the doctor said, do not close your eyes. We're, we're, we're trying to save your life some. Don't close your eyes or you will die. Well, I had no strength left. I realized that I must... How many have done a power nap? So I thought, I'm going to do a power nap. I'm going to close my eyes, get some strength and fight it. Next photograph. As I closed my eyes, to my horror, the machines monitoring my vital signs flatlined. Next picture. And in a split second, I felt this bizarre sensation as I felt a release and the battle to stay alive had finished. How many have heard of people that are literally looking down on their bodies and have to be 10, 15 feet above them in a, in a hospital? How many have heard of this stuff? And the, the body's dead, but they're up there looking down on this stuff. Well, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, yet they shall live. And then when a man dies, his spirit leaves his body, and his physical body is only a, a clay vessel. What an extraordinary thing to find out that I was alive yet dead. In a second, I was out of the hospital. Next, next photograph. And it was pitch black. I thought, what happened? Instead of lying down, I was upright. I said, did I die and leave my body? Or if we had a power cut in this little hospital? What on earth's going on? Perhaps my pupils are dilated. So I turned around looking for light. Nothing. So I reached out looking for a light switch. How many have at a friend's place and tried to find the light switch? How many know you put your hand and foot out? Otherwise, face wall. Anyhow, I'm going out looking for it. Couldn't find the wall. I thought, well, where's my hospital bed? Should be a lamp near it. Oh, great. Now you've lost your bed, you idiot. How'd you do that? So I'm groping around the darkness trying to find my hospital bed. Oh, the man, it's so dark in here, you can't see your hand in front of your face. So I bring my right hand towards my face, and my hand goes straight through my head. Oh, that's impossible. Two hands, you can't mess your face. Both hands go straight through my head. Oh, where's my chest? Both hands go straight through it. I thought, where on earth are my hands? Both hands straight through. I thought, how on earth can you feel your body's there, but when you go to touch it, it's not? And then I remembered my grandfather who'd fought in Gallipoli and somehow survived, and then against Rommel and Alain with the Anzacs. He had met men who had lost limbs, and when we, we used to visit them when I was a little kid. He used to follow around them. Granddad would go to, you call the RSL? We call RSA? 
And we, he went and saw some of these guys he fought with. One old guy said, oh, scratch my foot, sonny. And there's no leg there. Well, we were told in those years to be seen and not heard. Remember those days? How many love those days to come back? <laughs> Got an opinion, son? Sit on it. Or you won't be sitting on it for quite a while. <laughs> Anyhow, whatever, old school. My grandfather was a regimental sergeant major. How many know what they are? RSMs. Yes, yeah, Flippy, you'll know about those boys. The rest were warrant officers in our families. Most of them were military or farming. So here, granddad had told me later, oh, the men could tell that he fought with. He said, they're not, they're not psychotic. He said, son, the doctors call it phantom pain. They can feel the limbs still there, and I believe them. So how would you like to lose your entire body, not just a leg or an arm, and you're still there? In this darkness, I thought, what the heck is this place? Then I felt the most incredible evil. How many have felt intense evil and darkness? We're talking demonic, full on. You could cut it with a knife, go to Southeast Asia. <laughs> so here I am, I'm feeling the most intense demonic presence. Then I hear men scream at me from the darkness. One said, shut up. I said, I said, nothing. What are you talking about? Another man, you deserve to be here. I said, deserve to be where, where am I? Another man, you're in hell. Now shut your face. I thought, hell? I don't believe in it. And if this is hell, where's the party? And I beat the mosh party? How many know it would be very hard to grab a beer? Very hard to find a bong and pack a cone, mate. You wouldn't even know where it was. It'd be worse than sucking bong water. Oh, you're giving yourself away now, haven't you? It's Mullumbubby Madness and Corumban Mushrooms. Here I am, so I'm... I'm alive, you're dead. How many know it'd be very hard to have parties, sex, drugs, and rock and roll without a body? So I'm thinking, well, I'd seen other pictures. If it wasn't party, it was little boys with red horns, red jumpsuits with tails and a trident pitchfork, putting another on the barbie tonight, is it? Dante's Inferno. I'm thinking, where's the fire? Where's the rotting corpse? I thought, well, my rotting corpse is back in the hospital. This is a spiritual place. This isn't a physical place. When you hear the worm won't devour the flesh, it ain't talking about physical flesh. It's talking about the flesh of the spirit, which is immorality, drunkenness, adulteries. When you lose your physical body, it can never be fulfilled. It's a metaphor. If you take it literal, you would have Dante's Inferno. Flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of God. And the fire is at the end where darkness, Hades, is cast into a lake of fire. It's called the second death. So I'm standing in this darkness, next picture. Suddenly light pierced through the darkness. I found myself then lifted up into this light. Have you ever seen sunlight come through in a cloudy day? You've had a few months of it, I heard. <laughs> and this shaft of life touched me. I felt like weightless was lifted up. Next picture. My entire person was enveloped in white light. I thought, what on earth is this? Beam me up, Scotty? What on earth's going on? I looked up. I could see an opening where the light was coming from. Far above me, I was drawn towards a circular-shaped opening. As I entered it, the next picture, I realized it was a passageway or a tunnel between two kingdoms, a kingdom of darkness and a kingdom of light. It's interesting that Jesus said small and narrow is the way that leads to the kingdom of God. Few find it. But there's a broad way that leads to outer darkness or destruction, to highway to hell. Here I am traveling in a speed of light through a narrow passageway, and Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. 
I'm moving at the speed of light through this tunnel. Waves of light come up to greet me. The first wave of light hits me. I feel comfort. I then feel peace, and then I feel joy like a living emotion. Now, I tried southern comfort and a few other different things. (laughs) Here, this comfort and peace flooded me. I turned my head to the right, thinking in the darkness, I couldn't see my hand in front of my face. Next picture. As I turned, I could see my hand was transparent, spirit-like, full of light. But it was my hand. It responded to my movement. It was me outside of physical form in a spiritual being of light. The Bible says God is the father of light, and we shall be transformed. Mortality will take on immortality. First the natural man, then the, then the heavenly. First the earthly, then the spiritual. So I could see my spiritual body, which men who have lost limbs, people who have literally lost their entire uh, lower, bo- lower trunk, when they die, their, their legs are there. They can stand up and walk. Because all the sickness and disease, the spina bifida, the down syndrome, and the cancer, it's in the physical body. But when the person steps out of that, all that disease and all that pain is left behind. Does that make sense? So I'm now looking at my spiritual body. I thought, what's at the end? I move down further. Let's come out there. Next, next photograph. I come into a kingdom of light. I thought, it's enormous. The tunnel made it look so small. What on earth is this kingdom? It's like the center of the cosmos. Is there something in that light, or is it just an energy force of good in the cosmos? As I question that, it's as though the person inside could hear my heart as as speech. It says, out of the abundance of 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 the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, God could see true speeches from the heart. So I'm questioning these things in my heart, and the person inside the light responds. As I hear his voice, I realize it's the same person who led me through the Lord's Prayer. He said, Ian, call him by name, do you wish to return? I thought, how on earth did you know my name and return where? I looked behind me. Here is a tunnel going back into darkness. I thought, am I actually standing here before a being of light who seems to, his radiance and glory fills the universe? Or am I lying in a hospital bed, comatized in what's called an NDE, a near-death experience, tripping out of my skull on endorphins? How many know it's either one or the other? Either it's all happening in your head, mate, and you're tripping out of your skull and you're not dead. Or you're dead out of your body talking to a being of light. I had no idea that my body had been moved to the morgue and I was pronounced clinically dead, not near dead. How many know there's a difference? How many know that neurotoxin from the box jellyfish doesn't just hit the heart, it hits the central core of your neurons and takes your brain out? It's called brain dead. There's no way you can bring them back. You can have heart dead and bring someone back, but when they're brain dead, it's dead. Are you alive, some of you, or are you just the walking dead? (laughs) That's why the doctors won't enunciate life after death. They call it an NDE, near-death experience. Well, that's a load of dribble. That's not very scientific when the person's in a morgue. So here I am thinking, well, perhaps this is real. I said, if I'm out of my body and I'm dead, I want to return. I have no idea where I am. He said, Ian, if you return, you must see in a new light. Light. I said, are you the true light? He said, Ian, next, next, next picture. He said, Ian, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all, 1 John 1, 5. I had no idea that this is from the Bible. Never read a Bible. All the Eastern teachings I'd looked at said, no, no, God is yin and yang, light and darkness in the circle of life. In one statement, he took Taoism, Buddhism, and karma and the whole lot and chucked it where it come from, the pit of hell. 
Because I'm standing here and there's no darkness. I look behind me and my spiritual body, which is full of light, casts no shadow. The Bible says there's no shadow or shifting in the Lord. I've just come from the kingdom of darkness and the men there called it hell. I didn't believe in hell. I thought that was a trip to scare people into Christianity or religion. All religions were based in fear. So I'm standing here looking at a being of light whose radiance fills the heavens, no darkness, and it's called God is light. In fact, the only book on the entire planet that teaches that is the Bible, not the Vedic, not the Sanskrit, not the Bhagavad or the Quran, only the Bible. And I'm not politically correct, and I don't care. Truth will set you free. So I'm standing here before a being of light who knows my name. I'm thinking then he must see everything inside me. I must be absolutely a transparent. He must see everything I've ever done wrong. How many would feel a little bit uncomfortable? So I thought, mate, that's not right. They've beamed the wrong man up. I should crawl back into the pit of hell where I belong. So I moved back towards the darkness. As I do, waves of light come towards me. First wave of light that touches me, I feel unconditional love and acceptance. I thought, love? Why on earth would God love me? Surely he knows what I've done. More love. I thought, perhaps he's too old. He doesn't know. I thought, I better tell him now. No use coming in and getting biffed out later. So I said, God, I've cursed you, broken your commandments. More love. I said, I've slept around. More love. I said, take a heap of drugs. More love. I told him my worst, most disgusting sin. How many have got some really sick stuff out there? You know what I mean? We're talking serious stuff. <laughs> None of you. Only one. That's the New Zealander. That's... <laughs> the rest of you can polish your halo later (laughs) liars (laughs) anyhow good band called Devo remember (laughs) so so here I am I'm moving back and the lovers hit me and suddenly I've told God every sick degenerate whacked out stuff I've ever done and God's response to that is love and forgiveness And I start weeping like a little boy. I I thought, you can't cry. Any little kids do that. And then I got the full gusher. How many have had the snot the whole lot? We're talking the full buckets of tears and the whole meltdown at Madame Tussauds. So I'm having the full full thing happening here. And I'm going, what the heck? And then I realize that the love of God's filling me up. I open my eyes and I'm encased in liquid light, pure radiance, two to three feet around me. Then I realize that the light around God is love, peace joy, comfort. It's called the fruit of the Holy Spirit. God is love. Then God spoke to me, said, Ian, in that ambulance when you prayed the Lord's Prayer, I didn't just forgive some of your sins, I forgave all of them. Bible says, though my sins are scarlet red, he can wash them as white as snow. How many like to have all your filth and stinking darkness washed as white as snow and given a fresh start? Completely clean. No more guilt, no more condemnation. No more self-hatred or self-destruct. Because if you don't like yourself, you'll take yourself out. You can't live in your own skin. You're in trouble. So I stood there weeping like a little boy, and I said, God, can I step into the light and see you face to face? Then I could put a name to God if I can see you. So I walked into the light. As I did, the light began to part. Extraordinary healing came into my heart. My broken heart was being healed as I walked into this light. Next picture, as I stepped in, standing in front of me was a man with bare feet, dazzling white robes. His hair was white, right down to his shoulders. His arms were outstretched as if to meet me. 
But what struck me that his face had the face of God. The entire light of the universe, the cosmos, was coming out of his face. I thought if he spoke, galaxies, constellations would come into existence. So he had the form of a man, but the face of God. I thought, is that Jesus? What? It's God, but Jesus got brown hair. What's this blonde white hair down to his shoulders? I had no idea that when Jesus walked on earth, he looked like the Son of Man. But when he went back into heaven, it says that in Revelation chapter 1, when John saw him in his resurrected, glorified form, it said that his head and his hair were white like wool, like snow, and his face shone like the sun in full strength. That was written over 2,000 years ago by a person who met the risen, glorified Savior. It's one of the few accounts of men seeing Jesus in his glorified, godly form. In fact, the Ancient of Days was mentioned in Daniel chapter 7. It says that his hair was white like wool. God the Father, the Ancient of Days, sat upon a throne of fire. I'm standing here looking upon a person who's emanating the most extraordinary radiance. As I walk towards him, the light comes out of his face. It touches me and I feel purity and holiness enter me. I feel as though I've never sinned before in my life. I feel completely pure and holy. I walk right up. Next picture. Walk right up next to him. And as I look towards his face, he begins to step to one side like a door. He opens up eternity. Next photograph. As I look behind him, I see fields. Next picture. I see um, flowers. Next photograph. Uh, Crystal clear river. Waterfalls. Next photograph. Mountains with blue, blue. Next picture. And I see a, a river which is so pure, it's like looking through glass or through sky. And God's saying, Ian, I've created a new heaven and a new earth. This is the river of life. I thought, well, heaven was supposed to be clouds with people playing harps and fat little Italian babies with puffed up cheeks firing little cupid arrows. What the heck's all this? He said, Ian, this is the new earth. Above it is a new heaven and the new Jerusalem, the city of God. And the new Jerusalem will come down upon a new earth because the old earth will pass away. I stood in absolute awe. I went, I'm home. Why wasn't I born here in the first place? As I stood on the edge of eternity looking in, I thought, it's like a parallel universe. It's like what happened had man not stuffed this one up, this is what it used to look like. But God said, I go and prepare a place for you. I make all things new. New heaven, new earth. The old heaven and the old earth will pass away. I stood in absolute awe. And then God will clothe our human spirit with a heavenly body. No more sickness, no more disease, no more pain, no more cancer, no more war, no more death. As I looked, I said, God, I want to stay here. Jesus came back, next photograph. He came back in front of me and said, Ian, do you want to remain or do you want to go back? I said, stay here. I have no one to return for. No one loves me. I've got nothing to return for. I looked back to say goodbye, cruel world. Next photograph. And right behind me was a vision of my mum. My mum's still alive. She's 86 years of age. Prays every day. And, and her prayers has changed my life forever. I said, there's one person I love. There's one person who will have no idea um, what's happened to me. And I look back and saw my, my mom and my dad. I look back again and saw hundreds of thousands of people. And when I looked at them, God said, I want you to return and tell them also what you've seen, son. Many won't come into church any longer to believe and hear my name. I want you to go back and tell them. I said, but God, I don't love them. He said, Ian, I love them. I desire all of them to come to know me. I said, well, I love my mum. I'll go back for her. How do I go back into my body? I don't even know how I got here. 
He said, Ian, tilt your head, open your eye and see. As I tilted my head, next picture, opened my eye, I found to my amazement I was back in the hospital, but on a, on a slab in a mortuary. Doctor with a scalpel freaking out as his corpse comes back to life. Nurses see me move, run, terrified. Doctor's standing going, we did nothing to bring you back. You've been dead 15 to 20 minutes. And I could see he wanted me to tell him. I thought, if I tell him what I've seen up there, they might shove a bit more <laughs> Prozac into me. And I've seen a movie called One Who Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest by Jack Nicholson. So I thought, mate, I'm not telling him I've seen the guy upstairs with the white sheet on. <laughs> so I said, God, I, I, you need to do another miracle. I've been dead that long. I can't move. Please heal my body. Within three or four hours, I was completely healed and walked out of the hospital. Wow. Next picture. The next photograph. I flew back. Next picture. I flew back to New Zealand. And as I'm flying back in, I said, God, what's happened to me? I listened to cold chisel and men at work. I think I'm a Walkman. And God said, you're a reborn Christian. I said, I've never heard of that. Next picture. He said, well, you've got to be born again, son. And in that ambulance, when you prayed the Lord's Prayer, you were born again in my spirit. Next picture. He said, Ian, I want you to follow me all the days of your life. I said, what must I do next? He said, read a Bible. I said, I don't have a Bible. He said, your father's got one. And within six weeks, I read the entire Bible. In it, I saw Jesus said, I'm the light of the world that he is surrounded by glory so bright that the light, you won't need the light of the sun or the moon or the stars, that he is the risen Savior, he is the Alpha and the Omega, that he is the beginning and the end. Next picture, that he literally was dead. But thank God that's not the end of the story. Next picture, the stone rolled away. Next picture, and that, he's no longer here. I've been to Jerusalem, I've been into the tomb. When you look in there, there's no one in there. You think, what on earth did I come in here for? Then you turn around and on the, on the, inside the tomb it says, he's no longer here, he's risen. Yeah. I thought, that's the beauty of this tomb. There's no one here, he's risen. Next picture. And thank God, he is ascended into the heavens and he sits upon the right hand of God. That he is the true light, the creator of heaven and earth. He was with the Father in the beginning. He spoke and the worlds came to existence. He holds the power of life and death. All authority has been given to Christ. Next photograph. And his arms are open wide to every single person who will turn from their sin and come back to him. I've been saved for 36 years. I was a dope-growing, um, cultivating, using, messed-up, hippie, doped-up surfer. Anyone got there? No. Sunshine Coast, aren't we? Bong on, Australia, bong on. <laughs> Billabong. <laughs> but one thing I've found out is that we've all sinned. How many here have sinned? How many have done things wrong? How many try to figure, figure, get it all sorted by balancing, you know, by doing something decent? Jesus said, nothing's going to sort you out. Only my sacrifice paid the ultimate for your sins. I died for your sins. And you come just as you are. You come just as you are. I came as a messed up young man, and in one prayer, God forgive me my sins, I was completely forgiven. But the next thing Jesus says is you must forgive others, or the Heavenly Father won't forgive you your sins. Unforgiveness and bitterness is one of the biggest things that stop people coming to God. But by forgiving people, it's not saying what they did was right. What it is is taking the cancer of unforgiveness and hatred out of your heart and letting it go. Jesus took all the pain, all the damage, all the abuse on the cross. 
and by his stripes we can be healed. He can heal your broken heart. He can literally restore you that you're no longer a victim, but you become an overcomer in Christ Jesus. He gives you a destiny and a plan. And the next thing is lordship. Thy will be done. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. My desire in every meeting since I had this experience is to offer opportunity for people to pray. I prayed in an ambulance dying, but Jesus himself reaches out and says, you can be saved today. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day where you can humble yourself. You can turn from your wicked way. You can forgive others and surrender your life to the Savior of the world, the Prince of Peace, Emmanuel. And when he comes in, Christ in you, the hope of glory. He changes you from the inside out. His peace and his forgiveness comes in. The kingdom of God comes within you. And you can be born again. Start life afresh as if you've never sinned before. Would you like to bow your head and pray? If you can join with me, please pray out these words. Lord Jesus Christ, I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. I believe you died on the cross for my sins, that you are the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus, take away my sins. Wash me with your precious blood. Purify my spirit as white as snow. And I forgive those who have sinned against me. And I surrender my life to you. Be my personal Lord and Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your love all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.